This Sunday, we gather around the story of Bathsheba found in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 1, verses 1 through 40. This is a long text, so we'll be sharing the reading this morning. King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. So his servants said to him, Let us find a governess to keep our king warm. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. He prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, and fifty men to run before him. His father, King David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Jeruiah, and with the priest Abiathar, and they supported Adonijah. But the priest Zadok and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the prophet Nathan, and Shimei, and Rei, and David's own warriors, did not side with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fatted cattle by the stone Zaholith, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite the prophet Nathan or Benaiah or the warriors or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king and our Lord David does not know it? Now, therefore, come, let me give you advice so that you may save your own life in the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Your son Solomon shall succeed me as king, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still there speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went to the king in his room. The king was very old and was being attended by his governess. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king. And the king said, What do you wish? She said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Your son Solomon shall succeed me as king, and he shall sit on my throne. But now suddenly Adonijah has become king, though you, my lord the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the children of the king, the priest Abiathar and Joab, commander of the army. But your servant Solomon, has not he has not been invited. But you, my lord the king, the eyes of Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it will come to pass when my lord king, the king sleeps with his ancestors that my son Solomon and I will be counted as offenders. While she was still speaking with the king, the prophet Nathan came in. The king was told, Here is the prophet Nathan. When he came in before the king, he paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. Nathan said, My lord, the king, have you said Adonijah shall shall succeed me as king? 
and he shall sit on my throne. For today he has gone down and has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's children, Joab, the commander of the army, and the priest Abiathar, who are now eating and drinking before him and saying, Long live King Adonijah. But he did not invite me, your servant, and the priests Zadok and Benaiah, son of Jehodah, and your servant Solomon. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king? And you have not let your servants know who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? King David answered, Summon Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has saved my life from every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, your son Solomon shall succeed me as king, and he shall sit on the throne in my place. So will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Summon to me the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. When they, come before the, they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have my son Solomon ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And there let the priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall go up following him. Let him enter and sit on my throne. He shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be the ruler over Israel and over Judah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, so ordain. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, so may the Lord be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So the priests Zadok and the prophet Nathan and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the Sherephites and the Pelophites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and led him to Gihon. There the priest Zadok took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And, and all the people went up following him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth quaked at their noise. I guess I want to start out by saying that please sign up to be liturgists. I'm not trying to test you. And quiz you on names. I'm sorry, Dan. Those that, those were tough. Um, sorry, just tripped up. So he is now old and growing feeble. But at the height of his power, the world paid attention, y'all. He brought together political factions. He built an empire. He took what he wanted when he wanted it. Trophies, women, and he wasn't bashful about it. He had children by three different wives and then had strange 
in complicated relationships with all of the children. Now that he is aging and losing his faculties, there is a power struggle going on. Who is going to replace him? Who is going to take over the empire? You might be wondering, Eric, who are you, who are you talking about? I am, of course, talking about the television show Succession on HBO. <laughs> Any fans? Have you seen it? Yep. The story follows the character of Logan Roy and his children. Logan is the patriarch and CEO of the Waystar Corporation, a global media conglomerate with vast resources and influence as different factors such as age and health impact Logan's standing in the company, the children are all vying for the top spot. How can they gain all of the power? Does that sound familiar to anybody? It should. There are more than a few current day scenarios playing out in the world around us that reference the exact same themes. I don't even need to name them. They're all probably playing in your brain at this very moment. Proving that the proverb from Ecclesiastes is true. What has been is, will, is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. There is nothing new under the sun. Y'all, the basic plot line of succession could have been ripped from the headlines of the Jerusalem Times from the time period of our story from the book of 1 Kings. It is following the same dynamics. But this is a story a sermon series about the women of the Hebrew Scriptures, right? Bathsheba features prominently in this text. But to understand the importance of Bathsheba in today's passage, it's important to understand David in the context of his life. Not that I want to define Bathsheba or any women by the men in their lives. I'm not about that. But how she used her own agency and what power that she had in today's story is a direct relation to the men and the power structures of her time period. So let's start with David. David. King David. That King David. The beloved king that united Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms. Under David, all of the tribes of Israel were finally under a single monarch, Technically, he was the second king of Israel. David, if, as you remember, was the shepherd boy who replaced Saul, whom God rejected. David was the first Renaissance man. He was literally good at everything. In battle, he triumphed over Goliath, the Philistine, armed only with a slingshot and stones. You remember the story, yeah? David was said to be very handsome. He had embraced a broad understanding of the definition of marriage, having eight wives. 
with Bathsheba becoming his final wife. He is said to have been a legendary harpist and poet. Most of the Psalms are said to have been written by David or to be about the reign of King David. But back to Bathsheba. How Bathsheba became David's wife is important because it was the fatal flaw of King David's reign. Bathsheba was apparently a world-class beauty, but she was married. She was married to a soldier named Uriah, a soldier in David's army. But when David saw Bathsheba, this world-class beauty, he wanted her. He had to have her and sent for her while her husband was at war. At the time, if the king sent for you, there was little that you could do. So the whole scenario of Bathsheba becoming a part of David's household involved very little of her own agency and a lot of David's proclivities. When she became pregnant with David's child, the king arranged for Uriah, her husband, to be stationed in a place in battle where he would be killed. So David didn't kill Uriah, but he made it happen. That is the fatal flaw. David's behavior in this situation displeased the Lord, who spoke through the prophet Nathan, saying, Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, and this is the really important part, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house. I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house. The calls coming from within the house. This is exactly what happened. King David's sons had it rough. The first child conceived with Bathsheba died shortly after childbirth, just as the Lord said would happen. There's little said in the Bible about David's second oldest son, so it is believed that he also died at a young age. This left a whole bunch of other sons. Some more names, bear with me. Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, and Solomon. We heard about Adonijah and Solomon in today's passage, right? So what happened to the two older ones? Well, Amnon was killed by Absalom for hurting their sister. After returning to Jerusalem from exile for killing his older brother, Absalom staged a coup that led David to literally flee Jerusalem and then reclaim it by killing his own son. So a lot has happened. I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, the Lord said to King David. And that is a lot. That is exactly what has happened. Years have passed since that coup attempt. And David is 
now very advanced in age. It's important to remember, because I kind of cleaned the text a little bit, because there's this whole part about bringing in a handmaid, and I just didn't think it was necessary. So I politely used the term governess, but there's more there. Um, But David was this vital, gregarious man. He had eight wives. He literally took what he wanted all the time. But he's at an age where he can't stay warm, and so they bring a governess, a full-time caregiver, to really, really hold him to her throughout the day to keep him warm. And the text makes it clear that they never, ever had relations. So a lot of scholars that I read this week basically called this poor woman like a a warm water bottle. Not a glorious description, but that's what she was. He was at the place in his age where his mental faculties were fading. His physical abilities were fading. And there is a power void, right? You can see what happens. Succession playing out right around him. Adonijah, the oldest living son, has read this political landscape. He sees what is happening. And y'all, he's kind of a spoiled brat, if you didn't notice it. The text says he's done what he wants, and King David never told him to stop. So there is a lot of... This sermon's going to feel a little bit like a Bible study, so I'm sorry, but go with me. There's a lot of discussion around this. Because was, were they talking about just his activities in trying to declare himself king or for his whole lifetime? And the general consensus is that Adonijah is really a spoiled brat who did what he wanted all the time. And King David never said, stop. Oh, that's just boys will be boys. Let them be. Until Adonijah is now trying to declare himself king. And King David has no idea what is happening. I am going to try and assume the best intentions about Adonijah here. He is the oldest son. I think it's safe to assume through primogeniture, which is the oldest male sibling, male son would be the one we just saw play out in England, becomes the king. He probably, Adonijah probably assumed that he was going to become king. Today's text tells us that Adonijah exalted himself, declaring, I will be king. He never went to King David to ask. He just decided. Without consulting the feeble King David, Adonijah goes through all the motions. He gathered the appearance of a royal procession. He spoke with some of David's political allies getting the political endorsements, if you will, of strategic leaders from David's past. And I didn't know this, so I'm guessing that you might not either, but all of the political leaders that he gathered to him were from the southern kingdom, where David was in exile, and how David came to power. All of those who were named 
were from the southern portion of the kingdom. So Adonijah is building a power base in just the south instead of the entire country, which Nathan would probably be reading and thinking, but this isn't so smart. Solomon is the first son born in Jerusalem. Solomon's appeal inherently, naturally, is that he's going to be embraced in the south and in the north by those in Jerusalem and far beyond just because of where he was born and how he was raised. But Adonijah was building his own little fiefdom. And he must have known that something wasn't right because he did not invite Solomon. He did not invite other important figures from David's current political circle, like the prophet Nathan. I will raise up against you trouble from within your own house. The words just keep coming back, and they're not from today's text, but they inform how things are playing out. The prophet Nathan prophesied that these things would happen. I think it's important to note that what happens next is not really about God. God is not an active agent in today's story. Did you see that? Did you notice that when we were reading? It took me a couple of days because I just assumed that Nathan was operating with some sort of divine guidance. But there is never a mention, as you go back a couple of stories or ahead, where God said to Nathan, oh, oh, let's clean this up. Let's get this. There is not a place in the story where we see God directing Nathan's actions. Having said that, if you look back in the text like we did with the first Samuel reference, there are clues in previous stories for how we think God wanted things to play out. And it wasn't with a king, Adonijah. In 2 Samuel, the text tells us that at Solomon's birth, the Lord loved Solomon. The child found favor with the Lord. Those warm feelings did not wane as Solomon grew up. Solomon was blessed and highly favored, But nowhere did God tell the prophet Nathan to take action as David's health was waning. But that is what the prophet Nathan did. Observing what Adonijah is doing, he goes to the person, and I think this is interesting, Nathan goes to the person he perceives to have the power necessary to ensure a future for God's people and their access for Nathan's access to the king of Israel. The prophet Nathan goes to Bathsheba. He says, okay, it's time to worry. We should be sweating right now. That other son is trying to take power. And you know what that means. You know what's going to happen to you and to Solomon and to me when that happens. He gives her a plan to plant the idea, just the idea, that King David promised to make Solomon king. 
And then he, Nathan, will come in and confirm those words as if David said them and made them real. Kind of makes me feel icky. Kind of feels like geriatric abuse here. But Bathsheba hears Nathan's words and she takes it a step further. Did you notice when you read the text? Nathan says, oh, just tell, didn't you say this? Didn't you say that Solomon was going to be the king? But when Bathsheba goes to David, she says, you swore on Graham's grave that Solomon was going to be king. Sorry, that's what my family says when we're really serious about something. On Graham's grave. But what Bathsheba actually said was, my Lord, you swore to your servant, talking about herself, By the Lord your God, saying, Your son Solomon shall succeed me as king, and he shall sit on my throne. And now suddenly Adonijah has become king, though you, the Lord my king, do not know it. She really kind of dialed that up, leaned way in to the, This is what you said, and you swore on Graham's grave. The prophet Nathan does come in and he drives home the point to this king whose fabled mental capacities have certainly faded. Together, Bathsheba and Nathan ensure the future of God's people by getting David to make it official to crown Solomon as his successor and the king of Israel. And you all read this part. The people were thrilled. They were less than thrilled with Adonijah. They were thrilled with King Solomon. To have a King Solomon instead of a King Adonijah, they were partying in the streets so much that the earth quaked at the noise. So, this is definitely a very complicated story. One of those where I kept asking myself, why did I choose this passage? But there are two competing coups angling for control and power in David's Israel. David's Israel. Yes, his mental and physical abilities are seriously diminished. But David is still the king of Israel. He might be being held by a governess to keep him warm, but he is still the king of Israel. When I read this story, I always feel like Nathan is kind of icky. He develops this plan for his own purposes. Nathan has enjoyed this access to the king of Israel for years. To the king of Israel and to God, he does not want to lose that place. He needs to remain close to power. But if I'm going to practice best intentions with Adonijah, I should practice best intentions with the prophet Nathan, right? So I will say that he does this so that the king of Israel... And God's chosen people will continue to remain close to God's messenger. But Bathsheba, 
when it comes to Bathsheba, I love that Bathsheba was the person with the power to make something happen. Bathsheba was the key. Bathsheba, this woman who was grafted into this family against her will, with very little of her own agency or power, turned out to be the person with the power. The woman who held the key to David's heart. The woman who helped bring David back to himself. Who helped direct him toward God's intended future. Bathsheba becomes invested in Nathan's plan for her son. She becomes invested in Nathan's plan, not for herself, but for Solomon. She is motivated by love for another, not love for herself. I think this is an important point for a church in a time of transition. In times of transition, challenges to power and claims of authority can arise from many different places. Am I right? How do we value these competing voices? How do we value competing narratives for charting a pathway forward in times of change and uncertainty? What drives our decision-making when God's plan isn't as clear as we would want it to be? For David, for Nathan, for Bathsheba, there was no clear action from God in this story. What motivated them? What drove them forward? Assuming the best intentions, it was love for another. For Bathsheba, a love for her son to ensure that he was safe. For Nathan, a love for the chosen people that wants to ensure that God's message can clearly continue to guide the people. What steps are we taking as a community of faith in times of transition to ground ourselves in God's call for this community so that we can move forward together? So that when competing priorities or competing voices, not that I've sensed that, but it's natural for it to happen. What are we doing together to ensure that we see and seek out the will of God for us this day. I'm not coming with a lot of answers, but I pray that we can be like Bathsheba, that we can make decisions with love in our hearts, a love that drives us to take action not for ourselves, our own desires, our own need to be close to power or shape the direction. I pray that we can be like Bathsheba and take steps informed by love for another. And like Nathan, 
to take action for love for a community that we are brought closer into the fold of God and that we can continue to hear God's voice ringing in our hearts. And may this love that dwells within us be a reflection of God's true intentions for God's people. Not a love manipulated or emotional, but a love for justice, a love for peace, a love not for you alone, but for you, plural, for all y'all, all of us, that brings us together into the very heart of God and launches us out into the world to share that with everyone around us. May we be like Bathsheba, have the courage to tell it the way it needs to be, and may that be informed by the love of God at work in your life and in our life. May it be so. Amen.